So if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 8, I'm going to be reading from verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you again for this beautiful passage are we reminded of your providence your sovereignty in conversion that you are the lord of salvation that salvation belongs to you father so thank you again that we can be refreshed and reminded of, of our responsibility when it comes to trusting in your word to save people thank you that we are your holy instruments and you use us just to sow the seed into the lives of people father we know we can't save people but we know we have a responsibility, and that is to take your message into this world, into this community. And when you give us opportunities, tell people of the hope that is in us. Tell people of the good news about Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. So Father, help us now to hear, help us to be stirred up, to become enthusiastic about our witnessing. And Father, give us boldness to witness. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel but to share it faithfully. Thank you that we can learn from Philip and we see his obedience in what he does. Thank you, Father. Help us, please, and forgive us when we don't. Help us to listen now and hear what your word has to say to us. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I thought I would refresh us and remind us of the power of Scripture. Maybe we forget that that the scripture is what saves us with the work of the Holy Spirit. But do we believe in the power of scripture? 
Do we believe that, that Scripture has the power to save people and then the power to transform the same people that God saves? So God gives us God's grace has appeared through in Jesus to save us, but also to instruct us to deny ungodliness and to take up godliness and to trust the Scriptures to transform us. Now the sermon I want to focus on this morning is, is learning to trust the power of Scripture to save. We don't save people. Our responsibility is just to sow the seed and take advantage of the opportunities that come our way. Would we be able to stand with Paul and believe these words where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can we say that of ourselves? I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek I admit there are times when I've been ashamed of the gospel and I've had to confess, Lord, forgive me. Because you do come across people that you maybe feel that slightly intimidated by. Let's be real. Paul wouldn't have written that there if it wasn't a problem with us. It is a problem. And we need to overcome this problem of being ashamed of the gospel. But can we also say this of ourselves? When Paul says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. Do you and I understand that we witness a message to people, not about ourselves, it's not about our testimony, it's about God's Word, it's about Scripture. It's scripture that we want to sow into the hearts of people. The gospel of God is made up of words of scripture. All, all scripture is God-breathed and it's alive. Do we trust in God's word so that we can do the saving, that the Holy Spirit can do the saving? Because we are told to talk about Jesus. It's about His words, His works, which then will demonstrate God's power. So that people can be saved and rest on God's power. There's a beautiful quote just reading around and someone says, The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise it would, be, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, to give it the power to convert the soul. So we need to be bold. We need to take the Scriptures and sow the Scriptures into the lives of people. So we can trust in the power of Scripture. We can trust the Holy Spirit to take what you sow and make alive in that person's heart. It's the power of Scripture to save the soul. And if you don't believe, then just remember Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
That's what the word is for. It can cut through sin. It can cut through that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. So here are two things that I would like to share with us this morning from Acts chapter 8 verses 25 to 40. And hopefully it will encourage us to trust the power of Scripture to save people. And the first thing we want to look at this morning so that we can trust the power of Scripture to save people is that God is sovereign over people. And we're going to see this worked out in verses 25 to 31 of Acts chapter 8. God is sovereign over people. God is, is providentially bringing people into our lives all the time. He, he's brought people into my life for salvation. He's brought people into my life to help me grow as a Christian. And then he takes them away. And he brings new people. So he keeps bringing people into our lives. But when it comes to salvation, we will see, yeah, Philip, God is working in Philip's heart. And God is working in the eunuch's heart, the Ethiopian eunuch. And somehow their paths touch. You just got to look at Acts chapter 10. Same thing with Cornelius. God brings, God talks to Cornelius. God talks to Peter. Their paths cross. God's providence in conversion. God is always working in the hearts and the lives of people. What we need to do is rediscover the sovereignty of God when it comes to salvation. That God is in complete control of all things, including the people that He's going to bring into your life for you to witness to. That's why we need to return to trusting in the sovereignty of God when it comes to faithfully witnessing about God and who He is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see how God is the one that prepared the Ethiopian eunuch's heart for the divine encounter with Philip. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8, we, we, there you see Philip trusts in God's sovereignty over people in salvation. Why I tell this to us is because it's important. Because salvation originates with God and whom he once saved, he will bring into our paths. He's in complete control. And if you want to know if it's true, well, I'll read something from Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life. Who's in control of eternal life? God. Who saves people? God. He appointed to eternal life to believe. And another favorite verse of ours, chapter 8, verse 29 of Romans says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predetermined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Providence in conversion. God is sovereign over salvation. Scripture says salvation belongs to the Lord. And here we see Philip is such an obedient disciple. When an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Now Philip route was to go the route that went through the towns but the holy spirit said no philip one angel said to 
angel of the Lord said to Philip, no, I want you to go the desert road. Imagine Philip thinking, the desert road? I want to go that way. I want to meet with people. I want to rub shoulders with people. I want to share Christ with them. No, you go the desert road. And you're thinking, who's he going to meet on the desert road to be a witness? It's unlikely he's going to meet anybody. It's like, you want to go to Worcester. I know there's only one way to Worcester, the Route 60, but he might, God might say, no, you must go the dirt road that takes you to Saggystoke, and then somehow you cut across by name, thinking, but I'm not going to meet anybody along that road. I might meet someone along the R60 that breaks down. I might have opportunity to, to fix their puncture or help them or whatever, and then witness the gospel. We, we mustn't question God. Philip doesn't question God. He just rises and goes towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we are told this is a desert place. Why, do, why are we told that? Because it's showing us God's sovereignty. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. And he goes. And you notice that it says um, that he, he basically, there's, there's two words there. And it says, toward the south. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road. And toward the south in the Greek can also be translated at noon. Wow. Desert road at noon. What's it like here at noon? In the summer. Hot. It's unlikely you want to be on the road. It's unlikely you actually want to be outside. Around about 12 and 3 o'clock here in Robertson. We want to be in our air-conditioned rooms. But no, he says to Philip. So all the odds are against Philip meeting anybody. Thinking, why am I going along this deserted road all the way to Gaza? I want to go through the towns. I want to go sightseeing. I want to rub shoulders with people. But no, he goes out on a desert road at noon. In the middle of the day in extreme heat. And we're all thinking, who is Philip likely to witness to? So he thinks that as well, probably. But the question is, who is orchestrating all of this? God is orchestrating all of this. God is in complete control of our steps, and he directs our steps. He's directing Philip's steps and the unique steps as well. And it's God, the Holy Spirit, that is doing this. The whole passage and the whole book of Acts shows us the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and in doing the work that God the Father has called him to do. And how often we have opportunities to witness to people. How often we could be sitting in our rooms or we're sitting somewhere under our roofs at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, just working backwards and the phone rings for someone to meet us somewhere to witness and we look outside and we see 45 degrees. I'm not going anywhere. We say, please, it's a bit hot today. Can't we meet tomorrow or the next day? Instead of saying, yes, Jack, or Joe, or Joel, I will meet you. Where can we meet in coffee? We always are pushing aside God's providence in our lives at times. But not Philip. He is an obedient. He obeys by faith. And he walks by faith and not by sight. And he's obedient to being a faithful witness for Jesus. 
And on his way, he meets the Ethiopian. And we must remember, this is not the Ethiopia by the coast. This is the Ethiopia just on the other side of the Nile River, south of Egypt. And what's the eunuch doing? Well, the eunuch is returning. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, verse 28, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The fact that he was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah showed his genuineness of his faith in seeking God. He was a God-fearer, a, a God-fearing Gentile who worshipped Israel's God. He would go to the temple. And obviously, you know, in the temple, they were divided. The Jews would sit somewhere, the Gentiles would sit somewhere, and the women would sit somewhere. Look at us today. God has broken down that barrier through Christ Jesus. We all sit together. Especially if we are Christians. We're all together. We're all one in Christ. And he's seeking. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Again, God's providence. He didn't just, like some of us might just open up a book, point to a scripture verse, read it for the day, close it. And move on. And so we read the Bible like that. No, there's a purpose. He's reading this. This passage probably came up in the temple reading. Or in the synagogue where he was. And he was probably asking God, what is, who's this talking about? Help me. God heard him. And he sends Philip. God is in control of people. Everybody you come, in, come across, everybody that, that God puts in your path and gives you the opportunity to witness to them, God is providentially doing that. And this man is not saved. So we can say he is a religious person. And he's seeking. We know that Judaism is no longer true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth of life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That includes Jew and Gentile. The only way to true salvation is through Jesus. There is no other name in heaven or earth, or on earth, that we must bow down to and believe in. It's all about Jesus. And yeah, he is. He's reading and wanting to know about the true living God. And scripture says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And there are people out there that are searching and seeking after God. And are we taking up the opportunity to meet with them? Again, God is providentially working in that person's heart. And then what, what are religious people doing? What are, they are reading scripture. Religious people probably read their, their Bible. Philip is such an amazing man. Again, you might think, oh, God's using him like a puppet. He's got complete control of him and he's just like a puppet and directing him to, to the eunuch. No, we are responsible for our choices. He could disobey. He could rebel like Jonah. He said, no, I don't want to go down that desert road. Must be mad, I might die of heat exhaustion. Who am I going to meet down there? Excuse after excuse, but not Philip. He goes. And again, the Holy Spirit, if we look back, the Holy Spirit says to him, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. 
And I look at verse 13 and it says, So Philip ran to him. Why does he have to tell us how he went? Why didn't he just say Philip went across to... He ran with enthusiasm, with rejoicing that he has an opportunity to share something. To witness for Jesus. We didn't have to have that. It doesn't matter how he got there. But to God it matters. He ran. And as he arrived there, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him the most beautiful question you can ask anybody that you come across reading the Bible that you know is not saved. Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand this book, the Bible that God has given us? There are always opportunities with those people. They're religious. We know when we move further into Acts, we know there's a way to witness to an atheist. There's a way to witness to an unbeliever that's not religious. God has shown us how we meet people where they are in their journey in life, if it's a spiritual journey, or if it's a religious journey, or it doesn't matter what journey. If it's an atheist, you've got to first point him to God. And then you point him to Jesus, because that's how he knows the true living God. With a religious person, like someone that's, that knows the Bible, but you know they're not saved, they, they, like myself, I thought I was a Christian growing up, and someone told me the truth. I was ignorant of the truth. I thought I was a Christian until they pointed to and told me, Mark, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. Do you believe in Jesus? And I said, yes. But are you trusting Jesus? And I said, no. He says, do you want to pray this prayer? And I said, no. Give me what you've told me and I'll go away. And seven weeks later, I humbled myself before God and repented and put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. All because someone came alongside me and asked me to understand the book, the Bible. I thought I did. I thought I, I was a Christian, but I wasn't. I wasn't saved. And it's such a beautiful question to ask someone, especially if you know someone that is reading the Scriptures, but you know they are not saved. It's not for you to judge them. You're lovingly coming alongside them. Just like it says, um, basically... In, in, in 1 Peter 3.15 Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's no point going to someone and bashing them over the head with the Bible and being um, and rude and disrespectful. They're not going to remember anything you've told them except your attitude and behavior. And that was a good lesson that John Newton told someone. If you're going to go and correct someone, you're going to go rebuke someone, you're going to go show someone their mistake, you do it in love. Because if you do it in ugliness, in anger, that's all they're going to remember. It doesn't matter, you can have the cleverest, the smartest, the best argument, you can have everything, your I's dotted, your T's crossed, but if you go there with a bad attitude, they're not going to remember anything you've said. You said, that guy, I don't believe he's a Christian. So our, our character is so important and we need to know that God is sovereign over people and that is what he's shown us in this first point, in this first thing, that he's sovereign over both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Our second thing to encourage us to trust the power of Scripture is God is sovereign over Scripture. God is sovereign over people. He's bringing people into our paths. And then what does he want us to use to witness to them? Our opinions, our indifferences. He wants us to use the sacred scriptures. I look at Jesus when he walked. God was bringing people into his paths who he was preaching the gospel to. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. 
repent and believe in the kingdom of heaven. He, God was bringing people in His path. He was healing. He was feeding and casting out demons. But what was He using? He was using Scripture. The Sermon on the Mount is all Scripture. In the wilderness, Scripture, when Satan came to tempt him. Because Scripture has power. And it, it has power because it's God's Word and it's alive. It's not magical that, that this Word's now going to change your life and take all your problems away. You need to trust it. And then you'll witness its power and its authority. And so we have to rely on Scripture to save people. But the question is, when we do witness to people for Christ, do we bring in our clever arguments? Do we try and show people how much knowledge we have? We try to puff ourselves up in front of them so they can walk away and see, wow, that guy knows his Bible. Is that what we do when we witness? We come with clever arguments. We give people knowledge so we can try and educate them into the kingdom. You can't educate. Yes, people can eventually believe what you say. Yeah, I believe it. But their hearts are far from God. Lots of people out there honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Or we just give them no room to experience a conviction. We just tell them, do you believe this? And they say, I kind of believe this. Do you want to pray this? We're forcing our will upon people. We should just preach the gospel and you should be like that jailer. What must I do to believe? What must I do to believe, Paul? And then Paul will say, this is what you need to do, believe. And obviously, to believe, we've got to repent and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But people need to know, why do they need to repent? Why do they need to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why not Allah? Why not Buddha? Why not someone else? Why Jesus? Why this man only? It's like I always say, Francis Schaeffer said, if, someone, if I had an hour to spend with people, to witness to them, it would be 45 minutes in the Old Testament telling them about God and 15 minutes in the New Testament pointing them to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stop bringing out our clever arguments, our, our testimonies. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't take them off the cross. Don't basically reduce the cross. Because you reduce the power of Scripture. I mean, Paul warns us when it comes to 1 Corinthians. He says this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's what happens. If you bring in all your cleverness, all your arguments, you take away the Holy Spirit's power and God's word power in bringing about a true conviction he convicts the unbeliever of sin righteousness and judgment that's the work of the holy spirit don't get in his way just sow a seed walk away and pray that god will do a great work in that person's heart and if they don't believe you the first time that's fine don't give up keep praying think of other opportunities that might come up and witness to people all scripture is God-breathed, and we know that. And what is the Ethiopian reading when, Paul, when Philip comes to him? He's reading scripture. What does Philip hear the unique reading? Scripture. What does Philip use to answer the unique question? Scripture. 
beautiful quote by someone said this, Luke shows how God was sovereign in this situation, providing Philip with Isaiah 53, 78 as a basis for proclaiming Christ. Do we see how important it is to tell people about Jesus Christ? His works, His words. It's pointing them to the cross so the Holy Spirit can do His great work. And of course, what is He reading? Well, He's reading Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, He was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so He opens not His mouth. And the verse 33, still talking about Jesus in Isaiah. And in verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and said, Well, this is how I was saved. On the day I was walking along this road, God saved me. I had no dramatic experience, but God saved me. Is that what Philip says? No. Philip says, he opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures. He told this eunuch the good news about Jesus. We all make this mistake. I make this mistake. We need to point people to the scriptures. And we need to drop the scriptures at their feet. And pray that God will make them come alive in their hearts. And it's amazing, he's reading Isaiah, the prophecy of the Messiah, the suffering servant. And it describes our Lord Jesus Christ as the willing sacrifice for sinners, even to the point of losing his human rights. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus, about the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. I wouldn't be surprised, and I, I say this on, on Mike, that Maybe Philip wrote the book of Hebrews because there's a lot we can learn about when we talk about the sacrifice. I mean, Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Philip explains verses 32 and 33, which is in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, and he explains to him and he helps him understand. Why? Because the Spirit is going to use the Scripture and convict the Ethiopian. To open his mind and his heart to God's truth. We must go back to what Paul says and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. The power is in the scriptures because God is sovereign over the scriptures. And that's why it's so important because we take the scripture, we take Jesus Christ, who's the essential message that the sinner must hear. Because Paul wrote, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not about ourselves. We share scripture so that the spirit can give life through God's word, which is all about Christ. Another beautiful quote. This is what someone wrote. The spirit 
sets Christ crucified before the soul in the preaching of the gospel and opens the blind eyes to see that. Do you see how we get in, way, get in the way of the Spirit doing His work? He opens up the blind eyes. But He can only do that if we are putting God's Word before them. And I'm not saying this, and you can correct me, I'm not saying we have to quote word and letter when we quote a scripture verse. We can paraphrase it. There's the Amplified Bible as well. But as long as we're giving them scripture and we're pointing them to Jesus Christ and we can say it in our words. But there are some verses that you will be able to memorize and say off heart. But it's scripture. It's about Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. And if God wants to save a person, He will bring another person into that person's life. If there's a tribe living on some island and God wants to save them, He's already preparing a missionary now for those people. Just like He prepared Cornelius to hear Peter and save his household. You can read that in Acts chapter 10. I've already mentioned that. Think of now, Philip and the, and the Ethiopian eunuch. God is preparing people. And then we see what happens. Somewhere along the line, he believed. Somewhere along the line, Philip showed him and taught him the good news and told him the good news about Jesus. He probably would have mentioned baptism as well. Because why? As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He, A, he would have seen people being baptized in Jerusalem when they came to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, when God saved them. And, and Philip would have mentioned that to him. That once, you, that once you believe, you're baptized. Isn't that what we see happening in the book of Acts? Isn't that amazing? Another beautiful quote. Someone said the provision of water for baptism in that place is another indication of God's sovereignty over the whole affair. Desert place. Where is there going to be water? And not just sprinkling over his head. Water that they can go down into, submerge, and come up again and be baptised. And this is what Darby, Tanaka, Christopher, and Grace are going to experience later on. Or soon. Baptism fully submerged. And then we see, once the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, we see again the Holy Spirit taking Philip away. And he goes on to Azotus and to Caesarea, where he continues to preach the gospel. If you look at Acts chapter 21, verses 8 to 9, 20 years later, in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 to 9, Philip is still alive, witnessing for Christ from the scriptures in Caesarea. 20 years later, he's still been faithful and obedient to pointing people to Jesus, his words and his works. And if you don't believe what God's word says, this is exactly what Jesus told the disciples. It says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Verse 48. What are these things? The things about Jesus Christ. And then people can come to a true saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Philip trusted the power of Scripture. He trusted in God's sovereignty over people. And he trusted the power of Scripture. And that's what he pointed. Philip pointed the Ethiopian eunuch to. So hopefully we've been encouraged as we've looked at these two important things. To encourage us to trust the power of Scripture. That God is sovereign over people and that God is sovereign over Scripture. But will we trust the power of Scripture? Will we stop being ashamed of the Gospel? Will we stand up for the truth and fight the good truth? Will we be like Jesus' disciples and witness these things? These things are the work and person of Christ Jesus in Scripture. So the Holy Spirit can do His work. He can open the eyes of the unsaved hearts through the power of the Scripture. Will we be like Philip and trust in the power of Scripture to save? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've not left us alone. You've not left us to find excuses. What must I say? What must I do? Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It guides us in everything, even in our growth with You and in our witnessing. You've given us the Scriptures, but You've also given us the Holy Spirit to help us to know the Scriptures so we can make it known, so the Holy Spirit can do His work in the hearts and lives of people in saving them. Help us, Father. Give us courage and boldness. Help us to be bold as we go about witnessing the Scriptures. It's not an easy task. We mustn't think, ah, it's a piece of cake. It's not. We need your grace. We need to be praying for one another. But we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to be faithful, to be bold and be courageous. Father, forgive us when we slip. Forgive us when we are ashamed. Forgive us when we, when we turn our back and we quietly walk away thinking, oh, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to get a, create conflict. But Father, we know it will be good conflict. It will be for the fight for the sake of Christ. It will be a good fight all for the glory of your Son's name. And you've called us to fight a good fight. You've called us to be soldiers and fight their good fight. You've called us to be athletes and run their good race. You've called us to be farmers and sow their good seed and teachers to teach the word. So Father, please help us. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy upon us. Pray not this all in Jesus' name. Amen.